Grigor Dimitrov is a Masters 1000 champion. He's joined an illustrious group of players. It was his first finalist level. He's had a fantastic week in Cincinnati. And once again, it's another week on the ATP World Tour. And there are many talking points for us to discuss. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. And here for you is the moment that Grigor Dimitrov was crowned Cincinnati Masters champion. Championship point number two for Grigor Dimitrov. 6-5, 40-30 reaches up for the service, serves down the centre, it's blocked back on the forehand, it's deep into the forehand wing and it's off forehand and a backhand cross court from Dimitrov, off forehand into the net and there it is, the biggest win of Grigor Dimitrov's career, he is a Masters 1000 champion, he is the Cincinnati Masters champion and he's done it with a straight sets victory over Nick Kyrgios, an hour and 25 on the match clock and he's done it without dropping a set the whole week. Final score in centre court in the final, 6-3, 7-5. Well, Grigor, you are a Masters 1000 champion. How does that sound? <laughs> Sounds amazing. Uh, well, finally, I live the day to hear that. It's, uh, it's an amazing feeling. What can I say? Uh, it was one of, my, uh, one of my greatest weeks out here, and it just, it just feel good. It feels good to win, especially leading up to the Open. I think it's... Um, it's a step forward to me now. I just need to hold hold out to that momentum and keep on going with the same work that I've put in so far. And you didn't drop a set all week. Real sort of testament to the work you put in in the off season. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't think about that. To actually said it, yeah, that's uh, that's even a bigger success, I guess. But uh, well, yeah, this is this is show this shows that when you're uh, you know when physically you're fit, you feel good about about your game and doing the right things. Things are paying off, uh, I guess, at some point. Uh, better later than never, right? And in that in that moment, in that moment, I was just uh, just focused on um, on what I had to do and my game plan, the way I was playing, and that's all that mattered. Arvin Palmer, alongside myself, Gigi Salmon, and Arv, let's start with the champion. And what a week it's been for Dimitrov. Came in as the world rank number eleven. He's going to go to world rank number nine. This is the biggest title of his career, and it can be career changing. Uh, absolutely, I think uh, the amount of confidence that he'll take from. Uh, winning a tournament like this will be incredible uh, of course the draw opened up somewhat seeds dropping out and a few injuries as well but uh, someone's got to take advantage of that and Dimitrov did that and it's been a fantastic year really overall yes there was a, a little bit of a, a flat period midway through the year so to speak but uh, that was off the uh, off the back of a, such a, a fantastic start to you I think at one stage he was 16 and 1 as far as matches were concerned and uh, you know he was looking strong uh, the off season that he put put in, in in December in 2016 really has paid off and I think uh, you know that's what he'll he'll draw from uh, the fact that he's put that work in and to have so much success that year this year uh, off the back of that will give him a huge amount of belief and confidence Lopez del Potro Sigita Isner and finally Kyrgios all without dropping a set I think that's pretty special, isn't it? I don't think too many players can to, can lift titles like this in Cincinnati and say, you know what, I won that tournament without dropping a set. I mean, if you just look at the, the names on that trophy throughout the years, I mean, it's domination by Federer and you've got Murray there, you've got Roddick there as the, the American as well. It's, uh, it's, it must be a pretty special feeling for him right now. 
We've talked for so long about the talent of Gregor Dimitrov. He is phenomenal when he's at his peak. He seemed to dip a little bit. He almost felt like he was becoming the lost generation because we were talking about the next generation. And immediately after he lifted this trophy, social media went well with people saying he deserves that. That, that justifies the talent of Gregor Dimitrov. He earned that Masters 1000. In many ways, it's you feel as if it's the talent that's kind of held him back at times because he's a player that just has so many options out there on the court and uh, you know the occasions I've watched him play where he's been struggling but he's actually he's got too many skills at his disposal and he's just kind of you, you struggle to see what sort of style of game he's trying to play but certainly this year it's been a lot more aggressive it's been uh, consistent as well I think that's something that he needs to continue to work on if he wants to continue to win at this level is that consistency and you know with the great players it's all about decision making under pressure that's what separates the, the great players from the good players and, and hopefully this will really push him on to bigger and, and better things. In the coaching box of Gregor Dimitrov, a man he went straight over to once he had won the title, was Danny Valverdu. And Danny Valverdu spoke to ATP Tennis Radio and told us that his player has really enjoyed his week in Cincinnati. Good conditions for him. Uh, I think he likes the courts. Uh, he actually likes being in, here in Mason. Uh, it's quiet. Uh, there's not many distractions. You keep doing the same thing over and over again every day. And and I think he finds it uh, pretty comforting. I mean, he's so he's in a good mood every time that he's here. Even last year uh, was very similar. So, um, but like I always say, it's not it's not only about this week. We just need to keep building on it and, and keep moving forward. Yeah, I mean, when he plays like that, he looks every inch a top five player. It must be frustrating. <laughs> Uh, but that's the challenge of the job and even the challenge for him is just to try and find that, that balance so he can do that this, so he can have these types of weeks more often uh, I think he's managed to put up a lot of good weeks in the last, in the last year um, just the last few months weren't, weren't very good but uh, he's been working extremely hard to get back to playing good tennis and I think he's starting to show a little bit now but he's still far away from, from playing his best I think um, and we just need to keep working and, and keep doing the same thing that he's doing to try and keep getting better um, usually when you don't have good results for a few months uh, it takes you a while to get back to playing good tennis and I'm happy that I'm seeing some, some good signs this week and, and especially his energy on the court it's been very good this week uh, already from, from the first match against Feli so uh, we just need to keep building on it and, and keep doing the same thing that, that he's done this week. We last spoke in Monte Carlo. You were joking that you know we haven't spoken because you, you have, he hasn't been winning. That's not the reason. We always want to talk to you, Danny. Um, how much have you learned about Grigor, though, in between Monte Carlo and, and here through the, the clay? And also, what was a very good grass court swing? Uh, learned a lot. Um, I think he started to put um, some some better wins uh, together during the grass court season. Um, the beginning of the hardcore stretch now was not very good. Uh, I think uh, we we learned a lot from that, and we had a lot of a lot of truthful conversations about it. And and I think uh, you always learn from from these weeks. Uh, obviously, they can be quite painful uh, when you when you leave the, the tournament early, uh, especially with some matches that that you are hoping to win um, so so I think at the end of the day they are they are painful but but you can get a lot out of them and uh, hopefully hopefully it'll start it'll start showing soon I think like I said this week has been good um, he's been uh, competing the way I want him to compete and the way he wants to compete so I think we just need to try and build from it and, and keep moving moving forward the same way is this unquestionably now for you his best surface I think so. Yeah, I think uh, the medium pace to medium fast pace courts uh, in the summer uh, 
are are the best conditions for him. I think it helps his game. He can he can use uh, his speed. He can use his slice. He can he can use the the strength of his serve on his forehand, and he pays off. So I, I would say that between these type of conditions and the grass courts are are definitely his uh, his favorite surface to play on. Yeah. Great preparation, obviously for for the U.S. Open and beyond that, even um, moving the right way for London as well yeah uh, I think uh, in in many different angles it's been a positive week uh, it's a good stepping stone for the US Open and uh, and for the race to London I think uh, everyone's looking at that not only him uh, it's a pretty tight race at the moment so um, I think uh, this will be a, a good build-up moving forward towards that it seems like a really good fit. They're not too far off each other in terms of age. They both seem quite laid back. They're really nice guys on the tour, and it works. Yeah, I think they've uh, they've struck a, a great partnership, uh, those two. And I think uh, you know, getting that early success is was so important. I think for for coach player relationships, you you get a whole lot of belief from it and a lot of confidence from it. And and uh, yeah, it, it's funny because it was about a year ago where I, I bumped into them. Uh, in Washington in a, in a coffee shop actually where they're having a chat for the first time I was like oh hello what's going on here it was when Gregor was struggling he had just lost uh, in his first match there and he just looked at a little bit lost and I thought you know what this could actually be a good fit if that is what they're talking about because um, you know Danny's done some great work with uh, players uh, Murray and of course Burdick as well he's uh, improved their games hugely with the time time that he spent with them so uh, I think they are comfortable with one another I think they have a similar sort of sense of humor and uh, when you're winning things are great what stands out for you in terms of what Danny Velvedu has done with Dimitrov and his game? I think initially uh, it was re-motivating him uh, and getting him to, to put a lot of hard work in again and uh, I think perhaps uh, Dimitrov has just kind of shied away from that a little bit and that the results were were reflected in that and then uh, I look at his game style as well now it's, it's a lot clearer he's a lot more aggressive I can see what he's trying to do out there and I think other players can see a lot clearer that he's become a lot more aggressive aggressive he's going for that first serve he's you know he's got a great all-court game you know he can he can grind from the back as we saw today and get himself out of impossible situations but he also can you know play uh, some really good attacking tennis and finish off at, at the net so you know he's a, he's a player that could be if he stays injury free and he stays disciplined and motivated and all those things he could be around for a very long time because you look at his game it it suits and it matches to most surfaces you know he's a he's a guy that can play on on everything he's had success on clay of course grass a, a great surface for him and hard um a great surface as well as as we've seen so um you know he's a guy that we could watch for well he's 26 now we could watch him for what at least another seven or eight years couldn't we Seven career titles, this the biggest of a lot in Cincinnati. So plenty of positives for Dimitrov to take with him into the final major of the year. Plenty of positives for runner-up Nick Kyrgios to take. We're just not sure how he'll take those positives, if he'll take those positives, because it has been a really good week. Yes, I think if someone had uh, offered him that at the start of the week, coming off the back of Montreal where he was struggling, and of course the three retirements in, in, the, in a row... Um, before that I'm not sure the head was uh, in a great place he would have I'm sure would have just snapped your arm off because 
you know, beating the guys he did along the way as well wasn't it uh, an easy draw for him to to have to play two matches, two uh, you know one and a half matches in in a day. Karlovic mentally very difficult to get by, always awkward to play him after coming back from a set down there, and then to come out in the evening and take on Nadal. Of course, he was going to have the lion's share of all the support, and and Kyrgios was able to silence the crowd there, and actually had some supporters uh, behind him there towards the end. Then and then to come out the the following evening as well and and to back that up that's what was so impressive as well taking on Ferrer who who's been playing very well of late I mean very impressive I just felt today that he he was perhaps it just caught up with him a little bit he just looked a little bit tired couldn't really go through the gears like we've seen in matches Uh, the forehand wasn't um, a weapon a real weapon as we've seen throughout out the week Uh, and the serve well it was the serve well, it's, it's quite ironic, isn't it? Because it was the serve that was getting him out of trouble uh, a lot of the time this week as well. But there towards the end, the three double faults in that one game, just uh, well, it was just it just hurt him, and and Dimitrov was able to take advantage. But overall, very positive for him. Just ho- hopefully the body will hold up well, and he'll be fresh coming into into uh, the U.S. Open. A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out Nick Kyrgios, and maybe we never will. I think the good thing about this run, he's had some early exits. He pulled out of three tournaments, including Washington. He had a bad time on the grass because he got injured. But because he's reached the final, we've had an awful lot of press conferences, an awful lot of time to listen to him. He is an honest guy. He said, look, it's not the most important thing in the world. Other stuff has got on. I am here. I am doing this. But I think it's been a positive off-court as well as on-court in terms of, of people getting to know him. I think he has been a little bit misunderstood at times as well. I think he obviously has made some mistakes and he's the first to, to own up to that. And it, and it is very refreshing to hear someone uh, as honest as him. Sometimes it, it has hurt him at times being being that honest because, um, let's face it, a lot of the, the post-match interviews uh, are pretty samey, aren't they? You, you hear the same answers. So for, for Nick to be that honest and say, look, tennis isn't the number one priority for him even at his young age then well you're kind of taken aback a bit because there's other players that kind of live breathe eat tennis and uh, it's only until you kind of have a family that you hear a lot of these tennis players say well you know what tennis is it's okay for tennis not to be number one now my list and people can accept that but being so young and you know really starting out Nick even though he's still a great player to say that is a bit surprising but he's just being honest and I think that's the way he just likes to to go about his business. Nick Kyrgios goes from world rank 23 this run to the final takes him to a world rank number 18. A few other players I'm just going to throw at you I mean there's so many storylines from the season this week let's start with Rafa Nadal he is going to be the new world number one that was never going to change does he just have to say you know what Kyrgios the better man won and that's it. Anything for you about Nadal this week, good or bad? I think uh, there, was, there was some good stuff, no doubt about that. But he came across uh, Nick playing so well, and it's you know such a difficult game style for him, such a difficult sort of matchup for Nadal. He's the one that you know likes to outlast his opponents and grind them down. But Nick just just wasn't giving him that opportunity. The the, the game plan was was spot on from Nick he took time away from Nadal and and that's historically how you know you have success you've got to go big and you've got to do it for long periods of time and of course Nick's done it before against him at Wimbledon all those years back stunned everyone then and so he's got that belief that he can do it again but you know it's been you know frustrating uh, week I think overall for Nadal that he wasn't able to just to play a little bit better under pressure certainly in that second set and um, you know off the disappointment 
of what was Montreal. I think he would have been really disappointed and upset with himself that he wasn't able to get through that match against Shapovalov. He, it, it would have, you know, just uh, started ringing a few alarm bells for him. Uh, I'm sure he would have put the work in, and he's now got the opportunity to to hit the practice courts once again. He's got a week or so to prepare, and the U.S. Open has been a, a very good tournament for him, of course, uh, through the years. Uh, and uh, I'd expect a I'd expect a good performance as we all would from Nadal come the U.S. Open time. What about the resurgence of 35-year-old David Ferrer? It's brilliant, isn't it? Because he's been kind of tailing off for a while. You felt physically are things beginning to to catch up a bit mentally as well to play the style of of tennis that he's done for so long um you know it takes its toll physically and mentally but it's good to see him playing well again this year and climbing up the rankings once again i think the goal will will be to you know uh, cement his spot back inside the world's top 20 and perhaps the world's top 15 i think he can do it top 10 is going to be difficult i think you know, he's lost a little bit of confidence the last year or so. The change of racket I don't think was a great one for him, but he seems to have changed that. He's using another racket at the moment. I just wonder if that's just given him a little bit more belief now in his, his, his equipment. Of course, he's won a tournament as well, so you can't turn your, your nose up at that. So uh, it's good to see him uh, playing well once again. Now, for now, if I can call them the oldies, I want to stick with the oldies because it's now 32-year-old John Isner, a great run for him at this tournament. But to get to where he got to, he had to knock down and put back in their place the, the next generation of Americans. Yeah, he, he talked about how he enjoys playing those younger guys just to see where they're at and see what sort of style of game they're playing. Uh, you know, the pressure has been on, on John Isner for a while, being the number one American. He's been a great servant as far as Davis Cup is concerned. So a lot of those players look up to, up to him. Um, so good to see him playing well. Uh, he's had a, a good couple of months, hasn't he, off the back of winning in Newport and, uh, and then going on and winning the next tournament as well. So he, he's confident in Atlanta and he's going to be playing next week in Winston-Salem. So he just wants to, just to continue to build that momentum come the US Open because he's going to get great support there hot conditions, conditions where, okay, it's tough to play in. You know, he's, he's huge, he's six foot ten, he's heavy, so you know, it's, it's tough physically, but, you know, his game style matches up well to those conditions. You know, it's humid, it's, it's hot, the ball's getting up high, and, and every player in that draw will be saying to themselves, I don't want to see John Isner for at least a few rounds. Keep me away from him because he's, he's so dangerous. You know, there's no one that enjoys playing him. Good thing for John Isner is this run of results means that he will be the number one ranked American male going into the US Open and that means a lot. But I mentioned that hat trick of Americans he had to come through to get where he got to in Cincinnati. Among them was Tommy Paul, Jared Donaldson and 19-year-old Francis Tiafo, who's coached by Michael Russell. I mean, at 19 to get your first top 10 win, you know, he's seen how well Sasha's done over the last couple of years and I, you know, he wants to follow in his footsteps and also be top 10. What was the plan against Sasha, bearing in mind he's played so much tennis recently? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we factor that into the equation. Um, you know, we spent a lot of, lot of time looking at video and, and dissecting it and some of the, some of the things that, that Sasha did well against him in previous matches. And Francis was able to, to pick up on some of those things and just did a great job of staying positive and, and being aggressive when he needed to. And the fact that he's so athletic 
and so mobile. He, he, in many ways, he was the last kind of player that Sasha would have wanted to be up against. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, you you change climates too. You know, in, in Canada, it's a lot different weather than it is down here in Cincinnati with the humidity. And you know, we worked really hard this week, and and Robbie Gineppri, who's also working with um, Francis through the USDA as, as am I. You know, we've just been really you know pushing Francis and. You know, physically, he's very strong. Francis is so great to watch. What's he like to coach? What's he like to be around? He's a fun, fun guy. Yeah, I mean, he likes to joke, and he's got a good heart. So, and and it, it makes it easy, you know, to work with him because he's appreciative, you know, of the time that we're giving back to help him. And as you said, you know, still only 19. How good do you think he can be? What's the potential? I mean, I think he can be top 10, and then you know, once you're top 10, you're obviously putting yourself in situations to win Grand Slams and and master series like this tournament and that's that's what i'm having him believe in himself that he actually is a top 10 player and i think it's it's paying off is he one of these players who is naturally confident or does he derive confidence from doing well i think it's combination you know a little bit you know a lot of the guys are like that you know obviously when he wins more matches he's more confident and that's why you know having a win today is huge you know for his confidence and you know hopefully he can he can use this as a platform to really launch ahead in, in the next few months and next year and also playing in front of a home crowd because uh, a lot of the time the Americans, you know, they, they don't necessarily know these guys that well compared to, say, a Rafa or a Rogers. So great to showcase himself in front of his home, his home fans. Yeah, I mean, before the tournament, you know, we were talking, he loves playing here in Cincinnati and he was fired up before the tournament even started. So to have a, a showing like this where he could play this well against, you know, Sasha, who's on fire on stadium court is, is special. And Milan must be... You know, a major aim for, for Francis and for yourself now, the next-gen finals. Um, how much of a must is that? Yeah, I mean, it's a priority in the schedule. You know, we, obviously the U.S. Open is, is, the, is, the, is the granddaddy coming up, but, you know, each week we try to progress and, you know, you go in with the expectation that you want to win every tournament. So, you know, the next-gen final in Milan is going to be a huge tournament for him as well, but, you know, we're just one step at a time and really looking to progress his game. I want to ask you too about the physicality of tennis these days. You know, Francis is obviously he's, he's a fairly big guy, six two, but still not a giant compared to a lot of the guys on tour. You're five foot eight, yeah. like me. Yeah. Um, how difficult is it for say a Diego Schwartzman these days to compete at five six? Yeah, I mean, you really got to make sure that your strengths are maximized. So uh, you know, a guy like Diego, he's super fast, doesn't give any free points. His return is exceptional, and you know, to be able to compete with guys that are moving well and they're six foot six, hitting 135 mile an hour serves, you have to have something that's special. And that's what you know Diego did. I thought my speed and my ability to take the ball early helped me a lot. Um, but you see it, Nishikori with an incredible backhand and speed as well. Uh, and Francis at 19, potentially still growing as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, he's not done maturing uh, physically, so that's things to consider. And, you know, it's part of the practice schedule is that, you know, you really make sure he's still maturing physically and then also work on, you know, the mental game as well. A lot of people talk about Francis Tiafoe when they talk about a player they want to watch, a player they're excited about. What is it for you about Tiafoe and do you think he's the real deal? I really do think he's the real deal. I've watched a couple of matches of his of, of late and I've been very impressed with his athleticism. He's incredibly quick around the court. 
he has weapons at forehand is is you know it's excellent really can dictate a lot of play off off that wing and he plays uh, with real confidence as well just was seeded for the first time at tour level just a few weeks ago so certainly trending in the right direction he's had some some great wins and his best win is uh, was this week wasn't it against Sasha Zverev to take him down uh, was impressive uh, everyone was kind of semi-penciling in Zverev again for this week but uh, just kind of got a little tired there towards the end but yeah I think TFO uh, is uh, a great American prospect I mean they've set the bar so high over the years have the Americans with the likes of Sampras and and, uh, Agassi and and many many others Roddick as well but I think TFO if he continues to to develop at the rate he is and develop the game and and, uh, and and improve, then I think the sky's the limit with him. And there's great competition among those young American guys on tour. We've got Jared Donaldson, who's third in the race to Milan. And just in that top ten, it's the top seven, then it's a wildcard place. But Francis Tiafoe is sitting at number nine. Ernesto Escobedo is currently at ten. Taylor Fritz is at 14. Tommy Ball's at 16. And it can only be a good thing to have that much competition among that age group. You often see it, don't you, when, you know, whether you're, you're travelling with your, your fellow countrymen or, or there's a good crop of young players, they don't all have to be from the, the same country, but one kind of kind of leaves the pack and does something quite good or you know, wins a tournament or goes deep in a, in a big event, then, you know, there's another, another young player that comes out and kind of matches him. I think they, it, it does work well in the fact that they, they motivate each other is that you know they want the bragging rights they want to be the best young player out there so it's certainly with the, the, the younger American, Americans that's certainly the case there's a good crop of players there's excellent coaches great development coaches at the younger age uh, as far as American tennis is concerned a lot of experience there and I think they're, they're pushing each other along nicely Now I don't want to take anything away from TFA's victory over Zverev but was were, how surprised were you if maybe not at all, that the tank was basically empty and Zverev was running on fumes? I wasn't that surprised, to tell you, tell you the truth. Coming from Montreal, where, where conditions were relatively cool for that time of year, it wasn't that hot. And then, of course, he's played so many matches of late, did well in Washington, won there, and that's hot, that's tough. And then coming straight to Montreal and you know, going through all the way to the end there and playing well, not only physically but mentally difficult as well. And you could you could tell pretty soon on in that match Verov was was tired. Now that's not a bad thing, that's that's expected really. TFO had to take his opportunities and he did, but you know, that's where Zverev's gonna look to improve. You know, he, he's quite he's a he's a very smart player. He's a, he's a smart guy as well. There's there's Certainly no panic from him or his team. He's got a great team around him. He's got a great trainer in his corner in Jez Green. His father's been, you know, the constant throughout with Ferrero there as well. So he's getting great, he's getting great advice there. Um, and that, I think, for the next you know, five years or so, that's going to be a priority, not only game-wise, you know, improving, but also physically becoming the best he can. And, and, and hopefully then, you know, he'll be able to play you know, three or four tournaments in a row and, and do well, but it's it's a nice problem to have in many ways that you know you you are tired because off the back of that you've played so many matches and won so many. 
Jez Green, his trainer, has spoken of it being a plan. This is what a five, six year plan to get him where he wants to get him. But is that largely when you're getting someone and he's sort of, he's tall and lanky with long levers, he needs to build him up, build him up carefully. Is that solely in the gym or is it about playing a lot of matches to get that experience in the legs of going through that? It's a combination of everything, I think, actually, having spoke to Jez a, a bit about his development with, with Zverev, it was very much kind of protecting the joints early on as a, a lot of a younger player. You know, you've got to have that stability in your knees, your shoulders, whatever joint it is, you can't go in there hard at that sort of age. You, at, that, at that age, he was probably not even hasn't even stopped growing you know so you've got you've got to you've got to be careful at, at a younger age but things are, are more set in place now at his age now so it's about um, going a little harder a lot of track work a lot of uh, lifting in the gym also a lot of injury prevention there's so many different things and that's where tennis is so tough to train for because you've got to work on your speed you've got to work on your endurance your power You've got to make sure you're resting enough as well because in amongst all of that, as you say, Gigi, you're playing a lot of matches. You're a professional. You're at the top of the game already. Uh, there's a lot of commitments there, so he's having to, to juggle you know, that training. Also, uh, play the matches is, as well because that's what he is, a professional tennis player. So those kind of training blocks that these guys will have throughout the course of the year are so important and you can only really make real gains if you're, you, you have at least five or six weeks away from the tennis court and you have that time spent in, in the gym working on specific areas so um, you know he's going to have to use his off season wisely and you know, there's not that much downtime in the calendar throughout the year but sometimes you do have to sacrifice a few tournaments here and there just to make sure that you're doing enough in the gym as well. Now one man who thinks that Sasha Zverev is going right to the top is former player coach and now television commentator Brad Gilbert. I would say that Young Zverev, who I call A to Z, um, at 20 years old, I think is going to finish three in the world. And I think that, to me, he's got all of the intangibles and he has a lot of court smartness out there. And I think he can change his game. So I think that he's going to be the first of the young guys to be competing to win slams. Brad, what do you particularly like about him? Well, I think at six foot six, I think his movement is tremendous, and I think that he's very solid off of both sides, the forehand and backhand, um, hits the ball very heavy, but I, I do think that his, his composure and his belief at his age, you know, because used to be 20 years old, it wasn't that old, you know, a long time ago. We had so many great young players when I first turned pro in the early 80s, but obviously it's changed now with the physicality and how the length of players, but it's nice and refreshing to see some youth finally come back and do some damage. Oh, it's a monstrous forehand from Isner. Buster, that's all I can say. Oh, that's outstanding tennis from Rafael Nadal. And volley from Lopez, a stunner! He puts up for another overhead smash and somehow Karlovic just squeezed that inside the sideline. Wow. Here comes Almagro, goes down the line and wins the point. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Another week, another tournament, more great storylines. And while there wasn't to be a title in Cincinnati, a second Cincinnati title for Rafa Nadal, at least he could celebrate his return to being world number one. 
Rafael Nadal, for the first time in his career, is number one. I was number one for the first time in my life here, so that was, uh, uh, of course, a great memory. Happened a lot of things between the last time that I have been in that position that, uh, that today they're going to be, again, the number one player in the world. Alexander Zverev. The fighter that he is, even though he had maybe a little bit of, of body problems, you know, some injuries, we always knew that he's going to come back so strong. And the way he's playing this year is unbelievable, winning two Master Series, one Grand Slam. Uh, being world number one next week again uh, is something amazing and, uh, you know, obviously I think all players are very happy for him. Rafael Nadal wins a fifth title in Madrid, a 30th Masters 1000 crown of his career. Dominic T. The way he came back after after his last season, he stopped it earlier, had some health issues obviously, and then I think during the clay season this year he was maybe playing the best tennis he ever did, so it's 100% deserved. Rafael Nadal rewrites the tennis history books in Monte Carlo. He becomes the first man in the Open era to win a single event on 10 different occasions. Nick Kyrgios. He's arguably the greatest of all time, um, and I think he works sets an example for every single tennis player who picks up a racket. You know, his dedication to the game, second to none, and he's a, he's a champion, he's a legend, he's going to go down one, as one of the greatest. So, same at number one, I think um, it's a spot that he does deserve. I worked hard, I maintained the, the illusion and the passion for the game, and here I am, you know, having a great season and happy to come back to the number one. It's incredible, isn't it? The first time since 2014. And I know he would have liked to win the title and be back at number one because he found out about that at the start of the week with the withdrawal of Roger Federer. But great to see. He has earned the right to be back there. Yeah, OK. The, the last couple of weeks haven't gone as, as well as he would have liked, but you've, you've got to look at his year. It's been fantastic, hasn't he? Um, hasn't it? I mean, what he was able to, to do on the clay was just phenomenal. Uh, last year he was struggling physically, he had injuries, he's talked about how he, he was beginning to lose his nerve a bit, but he was so determined to to get back on track and, and fix the problem, and, and that's exactly what he's done. I mean, hard court's not easy to play on, you know, it's not his, I don't think, of course, not his favourite surface, and, and I think it's tough on his, on his body, but it, it's been a great year for him, and it's and it's been fitting that he, he has returned to what, number one because the, the tennis that we saw him play in Australia as well was, was phenomenal. I mean, that match could have easily gone his way. That final could have easily gone his way. But then to, to re regroup and, and tear it up like he did on the clay was fantastic. For a large number of the players now, it's off to New York. Andy Murray is in New York. He's been practicing on Arthur Ashe. We know there's, there is no Novak Djokovic, there's no Kane Ishikori in the defending champion, Stan Wawrinka. Those three will not be there. We believe that Roger Federer will be there after that tweak in his back in Montreal. Many more storylines are going to come up from those two weeks, but who are you looking at and who have you got a good feeling about going into the final major of the year? Well, I think... I can't really look outside of, of, you know, three or four names, really, uh, with so many of the top guys not being there. I think, uh, for me, the number one favourite has got to be Federer. I, I, I think um, it was more precaution, I think, than anything this week, pulling out of Cincinnati. Yes, of course, he felt something in his back, but, you know, he wants to prepare 
the very best way for the biggest tournaments and being the last major of the year you know he wants to play his best he you know it's best of five sets it's over two weeks he can't risk going into into those sort of tournaments with any sort of niggles I think he's learnt his lesson over the years as far as that's concerned we've seen how important having that rest has been for him and we might not see him for for much longer so if we do want to see him for a few more years I would expect you know a limited schedule uh, you know perhaps it will get to a stage where he only plays you know 10 12 tournaments a year who knows you know because he's got to save the body so for me he's he's number the number one favorite uh, number two yeah, I think Nadal. I think Nadal is over five sets. He's so tough, tough to beat. We've seen what he's been able to do again in the majors. It's it's taking a pretty, pretty special performance to beat him. You you look at the Australia match. You look at what he did, of course, at the French Open. He was just unstoppable, uh, not losing a set there, and and just was outplayed, served off the court against Muller. So they're, they're the sort of performances that you have to put in to beat him over five sets. It's just a different mindset. They just think differently. They play differently when it comes to the majors. But outside of those two, um, Zverev, he's got to be there. He's got to be number three for me. Going to be rested. He's going to have the confidence. Um, two guys ahead of him that are our are, are, are favourites. So in many ways, the, the pressure's off. Uh, as far as that's, that's concerned, perhaps if he was going in there, the favourite, then the mindset changes a bit, the pressure's there, but I think he can still go in as the underdog and play some, some, some good tennis. You've been listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Alvin Palmer, thank you very much for your company. We now move on to New York, so have a listen to this. Think about your predictions. Get in touch with us on social media at ATP Tennis Radio, and then I will be with you for the next podcast coming to you from Flushing Meadows. Until next time, thank you for your company.